This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Normally, this would be airing on Saturday or Sunday because we like to do the weekend mailbag. But there was so much news on Saturday. So part two of the mailbag is on Monday this time around. So let's jump right back into it with a question from Michael Christopher. Michael says... How would you rate Quinn and Williams against the top defensive prospects for the last 10 years to come out? Here are a couple of names to consider. Miles Garrett, Bradley Chubb, Solomon Thomas, Joey Bosa, Jalen Ramsey, Leonard Williams, Jadavian Clowney, Khalil Mack, Deion Jordan, Von Miller, Marcel Darius, and Kong Su, Gerald McCoy, and Aaron Curry. So this is a difficult question because a lot of people have opinions formed about these guys at the pro level. We have to go back to what they were like as prospects coming out of college. I would say that Quinn and Williams is right on that tippy top tier with guys like Miles Garrett, Von Miller, Gerald McCoy, Jadavion Clowney, and Khalil Mack. I didn't think that highly of Deion Jordan coming out of school. I like Marcel Darius, but I think Quinn and Williams is a lot better of a prospect I like Bradley Chubb a lot, but I think Quinn Williams is an elite prospect, and Bradley Chubb is a really, really good one. Wasn't crazy about Solomon Thomas. One guy in this list that I forgot that he had mentioned was Ndamukong Su, and I think Ndamukong Su is obviously on that top tier. So that's my answer. I would say he's right there with those elite prospects, and even though obviously it's a high bar to climb to be better than guys like Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack, Ndamukong Su, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, and Gerald McCoy, I think it's absolutely possible that he could perform right on that level. Yeah, that that's a whole lot of names uh, for me to try to keep straight in my head right now. And remember, I'll I'll say this: you made the point to uh, talk about them coming out. Uh, you know, like Jadavian Clowney, him coming out, he was definitely thought of as a on a higher level than Quinnen Williams. But I, I'll go this way: I'd put him just under uh, under Miles Garrett, but above above. Uh, I'm sorry, above Bradley Chubb. I'd, I'd say he's he's in the middle there. Uh, he's, he's not now. Part of that is just going to be positional value. And as coming off the edge as a pass rusher, Miles Garrett, even though we've both talked about Quinnen Williams' ability to rush from the inside and how that can be just as valuable. But the way that teams look at it still, they value that uh, edge rusher more. And Miles Garrett is, is definitely that. But I would definitely have him above Bradley Chubb next question comes in from the Jet Ranger who got in a second question here he says Gase has said in interviews that he's going to be using Robbie in a variety of ways this upcoming season as opposed to the limited ways he's been used under balls what different ways do you envision him being used in Gase's offense I think a lot of people are envisioning him as a yards after catch guy I don't see that happening he's not a guy that can really break tackles especially with his slender frame I do think that they will have him run a wider variety of routes. He started to see that a little bit toward the end of the season as Sam Darnold got more comfortable. And I think also they're going to find ways to scheme to get him open, whether that means getting teams to bite on Le'Veon Bell or fix to Chris Herndon or something like that. But I do think that he will get opportunities one-on-one on the outside, and I think that he'll have chances to run a few more routes than he typically ran while in Bowles' offense. Yeah, I I kind of disagree with you here because I think that he can do more and they're going to use him with 
some more stuff. I, I'm not saying you're wrong, and it's not going to be too much, but I think you're going to see more crosses, some more underneath stuff with him, some more design plays to get him the ball on you know a little short cross, but then have blockers ready to spring him open on deep plays. It, it just If you want to take a look at the Dolphins last year, look at how they used Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. I think you're going to see him try to do a similar stuff with Robbie Anderson there. Now, that doesn't mean that he'll have the same exact success because he, he is a different receiver than them, but he has elite speed, and Adam Gase is going to do everything in his power to try to gimmick open ways for him to use that elite speed and get him in open space open field right there to take off downfield sure and to be clear i was saying that i think he's going to have him run more routes than typically was the case under bowls but at the end of the season they did start having him run more routes sparingly though and i think that's what's going to happen with robbie anderson you're going to see him run more routes i don't think he's going to run them a ton but i think that it'll be there to get him the ball a little more often though his bread and butter will still be those deep balls, and that'll be what they'll be looking to do is get him out in a single coverage so that Darnold can get him the ball on these deep passes because we saw how dangerous he can be when those two hook up on the long ball. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Luna Sternberger. She says, what is the sense of all the voluntary practice stuff? Why does the NFL not leave the choice to the teams, whether they make the practices voluntary or mandatory? Adam Gase said it right there for you in the presser. Take it up with the NFLPA. They bargained for it, and that's essentially why it's voluntary. Yeah, the the players bargained for it, and this is also the truth of the matter. It's not that important for a lot of these players. So the teams were willing to concede on that. The, the, the teams are the owners were only going to concede and give the players in on something that the players wanted if the owners didn't care that much about it. So that's really what that's about. And again, the truth of the matter is, this time of year, this uh, the voluntary camp stuff. This is for the younger players and the coaches. As much as some coaches sit there and. They definitely want everybody there, and they want to, They do want everyone there to buy in. For they also sit there and say, "Hey, 
we want to focus on some of these bottom of the roster players. We want to try to get them to improve. And we also want to get more of a look at these guys so we can know which have more confidence in cementing the final 53 of the roster. This is a time for those guys to really shine, to get through and, uh, you know, make an impression. Maybe on Bell being here, uh, you know, Jamal Adams, Jamal's going to be there and everything, but we know what Jamal is. We know what Le'Veon Bell is. It's This is the time for the, the younger guys, the, the fringe roster players, to really impress the coaches and to cement their spot on the roster. Luna has a second question. She says, should the Jets still make a run at Jadavian Clowney? What would be a reasonable price tag in terms of a trade with the Texans? How much could Clowney command with respect to a new contract realistically? So I wouldn't because I don't think Jadavian Clowney is a good enough pass rusher to justify the combination of draft pick compensation and monetary contract that they're going to have to give out. I think that the Texans are probably looking for a first-round pick. They may have to settle for a second-rounder or maybe a second-rounder that could become a first-rounder if Jadavion Clowney hits certain marks. I think that he's probably going to get money somewhere in the range of Frank Clark. That's not a contract I'd be willing to give out because even though you can make the case that Jadavion Clowney is a more well-rounded player, he's just not that good of a pass rusher. That's the main reason that you would get a player like that. And I'm not too keen on giving $65 million guaranteed and $100 million total to a guy that I consider to be a B pass rusher as opposed to somebody like Frank Clark, who actually is one of the top young pass rushers in the league. And don't forget about his injury history, too. you got to throw that in there as well. And listen, I've said it all along. David Clowney is a great football player. He would improve this defense and make this team better. But like you just said, he's not that elite of a pass rusher specifically. And also look at it this way, because I don't see Houston trading him at this point. What does Houston get out of it for trading him at this point? Obviously, if somebody gives them a, a first round pick next year, that's something to consider. But Houston is a playoff team. They're somebody that's going to be trying to compete for the playoffs. Like they have playoff aspirations here. Get it. They're not getting anything in return for him that is going to help them this year. They've already allocated the funds to be able to sign him under the franchise tag for this year they can't go out and spend that money on somebody else now to address the team to help them this year so at this point it makes way more sense for the texans to hang on to jaden Clowney and then make a decision about what to do next year they either sign him to a long-term contract or they let him walk and they get the comp pick for him in the future I think once they drafted Ja'Kai Polite in the third round, they felt like they didn't need to make a move like that, especially considering the price tag, not only with draft pick compensation, but how much money they would have to commit to him. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them keep up with all the transfers in college basketball and so much more you are able to subscribe to hooping with hoops on apple Podcasts, google play spotify stitcher tune in or wherever you get your podcasts this is the overtime podcast network next question comes in from sun moon rise 
She says, some experts view the hire of Dow Logans as a buddy hire. What's your take on what his role will be with the Jets, with taking into consideration that Gase appears to be more or less the head coach of the offense? And do you think it's a good hire for the Jets? No, I don't, because Dow Logans has not been impressive pretty much anywhere he's been. He's gotten jobs almost exclusively because of the fact that he's friends with Adam Gase. I'm not going to begrudge Gase a buddy hire because I think almost every coach in the league has at least one of these. We know that Jeff Weeks was the buddy hire for Rex Ryan, and I think that you could make the case that Casey Rogers was the buddy hire for Todd Bowles. The one thing I'll say is I didn't like the fact that even though Bowles was running the defense, he had Rodgers in such an important position. If he had been an assistant at a lower level, the way that Jeff Weeks was with the Jets, that's one thing. I didn't like him as a defensive coordinator, and I will say the same exact thing about Dowell Loggins. Yeah, the di- the difference there, though, is Bowles actually let Casey Rogers do a lot of the play calling at times. He took over, again, sometimes back and forth, mm-hmm. but... uh Gase is going to be doing the play calling there. I I don't think you can even dispute that it's a buddy hire, considering you just look at where Gase has gone. Every job he gets, Dow Loggins is right there. Now, to shoot Dow Loggins a little bit of bail, I I forget. I'll have to look into – I tweeted this out when they first made the hire. He does not have a, a lot of success. You look at his resume, it is not impressive at all. But if you want to dig a little deeper and look at the rosters he had to work with, he did not have a lot of talent to work with when he was in those positions either. So, you know, he was not working with a lot there. I don't I don't think it was a, a particularly good hire. I don't necessarily think it was a particularly bad hire, though, either, because Adam Gase is going to be the offensive coordinator as well. And, you know, you could try to bring in an, an actual good qualified offensive coordinator but then what's he really doing here besides pitching some ideas and offensive team meetings because this is Gase's offense and that's how it's going to be so you know it's I don't think it's really a bad hire or a good hire it's just a, it's just a buddy hire it's not necessarily a good or bad thing it's all going to depend on Adam Gase and then what he does Loggins is pretty much a figurehead from where I sit. So like you said, it's a buddy hire. It's neither bad nor good. I would have preferred somebody that could actually help Gase. But if Gase is comfortable with him, that's just the way it's going to be. Because as you said, Chris, it's going to be Gase's offense. He's going to be calling everything. It's not like Loggins is going to have any real responsibilities. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Peter Dillard, who has two questions, so we'll start with the first one. He says, gentlemen, am I alone in thinking that now is the time to play Jeremy Clark and Derek Jones? If you ask me, Mac wasted late-round picks developing corners instead of taking offensive linemen. Now they're thin at cornerback, so wouldn't this be the time to try and play them, since this is presumably why he drafted them? Time for them to fly or fall flat. I think, yes, they should play in training camp in the preseason, but they've got to earn it. 
I know that they picked him, and I know that they're thin at cornerback, but you can't just put these guys out there if they can't actually perform on Sunday. Bottom line is, for everything we heard about Derek Jones last year in training camp, from what I heard, he wasn't all that great in practice and certainly wasn't good enough to crack the game day lineup. You also saw Jeremy Clark, who is on IR and hasn't done anything. So those guys should be given every opportunity to contribute in training camp in the preseason. But unless they step up and do something that would merit playing time in the regular season, I'm not just going to throw them in there because, hey, they drafted or might as well use them. Yeah, it would be great if they come out and, uh, you know, earn that position and really uh, play well and play up to that. But if if Jeremy Clark, I'll, I'll stick with Jeremy Clark here for this point. Jeremy Clark hasn't shown anything. He, you know, he had trouble staying healthy, getting healthy even at first. He hasn't shown anything at all. So for me to sit here and say, you got to give him a shot right now. You sure give him that shot in mini camp and training camp. Give him a shot to try to earn it and play his way on to preseason. Of course, he's anybody that's on the roster right now is going to get that shot. But you know, there's definitely we've seen more of it with Jones, even though that was he's still pretty limited to uh, training camp practices and then a little bit of preseason here and there. And you know, the need is there for sure, but they're going to have to earn it there, especially. This is a new a new coaching staff too, so everything that the old coaching staff thought, keeping them around, that goes out the window. This this new coaching staff, Gase talked about it with Polite, and he's talked about it with other players that he wipes any problems they've had in history. They have a clean slate coming in here, and Gase is judging him them moving forward from this day on and it's going to be the same for Derek Jones and Jeremy Clark if they can impress Gase and Greg Williams from here going forward then they have a shot if they can't they will be out the door and you know they're definitely on their last legs here they're if they if they can't impress them this offseason they won't be making the roster Second question from Peter, he says, I really don't like when people downplay late-round picks. They may be dart throws, but they're still the team's dart throws. Is there any way to find out who pushed for those last two picks? This team has a new coaching staff, and those two picks just seem like more of the same. I think you may have answered your own question there because those seem like Mike McCagnan picks, but ultimately it doesn't matter who pushed for them because Mike McCagnan is the one that made the picks, and that's all that really matters in terms of how these players ended up on the roster. So regardless of whether it was Gase or Williams or anybody else pushing for it, the same way that it doesn't matter whether it was John Morton or Todd Bowles or Brand Boyer pushing for players in previous years, it ultimately comes down to Mike McCagnin. And so these picks are on him, no matter who it was that had the idea to actually draft them. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. Uh, it's going to be on Tom McCagnin no matter what. No matter what, no matter what. Our Darius Stewart pick, we know it was the John Morton pick. It's still a Mike McCagnin pick. It goes on his record. It's a miss for Mike McCagnin. There is a way that we can find out if those picks for sure. That usually comes out, you know, a couple months after the draft, maybe a year after the draft. We start hearing about who's involved with those picks, who really pushed and banged the table for those picks. That'll probably come out eventually. But it's, like you said, there's a theme here with these picks and that 
pick sits along with Meg McCagnan team. So he takes a, a chance on some of these later players with injury histories, some of these older players that seems to be his MO, that seems to be his style, what he's looking for with those later round picks. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Anton. He says, this is a tough one, but please try to justify to me Mac not taking Julian Love in the early fourth and Harmon in the sixth. I can't think of any reasons why he skipped those players. As far as Julian Love, by the time they picked in the fourth after trading down, he wasn't on the board anymore. They probably should have picked him or Drew Samia with that fourth round pick instead of trading down, but he wasn't available by the time that they did do that. So what I would say is he got a little too cute, and that's why he wasn't able to draft him. But if he had stayed where he was, Julian Love certainly would have been one of the guys I would have considered. And Harmon in the sixth, there were a lot of teams that passed on him. I probably would have taken a shot just because of the raw talent and speed, but I'm not really going to get that carried away about it because the Jets were not the only team that clearly had concerns here. Yeah, with Harmon, I you know, I there's I would have probably rolled the dice there too, but that's not something that it's going to really you know get me going too much. Julian Love, though, I, I'm definitely on board. I I didn't understand that at the time. When they traded down, they're sitting there in the fourth round, and Julian Love was still on board. It's a position of need. And again, I, I watch Notre Dame. I watch all their games. I watch it very closely. I watch Julian Love there. I think he will be a very good cornerback. And for him to be sitting on the board in the fourth round, I would have pounced on that. So there's no way that I can really defend that there, especially, you know, we talked about McCagnan trying to trade down want to trade down in those early rounds uh, you know first second round and get some more of those middle round picks when you're trading down to get a fifth and a extra fifth and a sixth round that's that's not the same as getting an extra second and third round pick it's not quite the same especially this year the the meat of the talent value in this draft is the second and third rounds. And then there you are in the fourth round and you still have Julian Love sitting there. And, you know, if you could have sat there and come away with this draft, Quinn Williams, Ja'Kai Polite, Adoga, and then Julian Love in the fourth, yeah, that, that would have been a much more impressive haul for me. Next question comes in from Twitter legend Paulie Brzezzi says, Hey guys, I don't actually have a question. Just wanted to say hey. Well, hey yourself, Paulie. Hey, Paulie. <laughs> <laughs> a little drive-by there. A little run-on, as they say in the pro wrestling business, by the Twitter legend Paulie Brzezzi. Next question comes in from Kev at ESADG. He says, Would you have preferred the Jets to have invested in offensive line instead of skill positions on offense? In the fourth round, I would have invested in offensive line. I would have gone with Drew Samia instead of trading down. Putting that aside, though, I'm not really sure which skill position players on offense you're talking about. So I can't really say that I would have preferred it over skill position players that they didn't actually draft. Yeah, I mean, they didn't draft the skill position players. So they and maybe you're talking about free agency, Le'Veon Bell and Jameson Crowder, but they could have done both. Um, I... Going with more offensive line is always a good thing. That that's absolutely the case. However, you know where they went with Jakai Polite and Quinn and Williams, where those picked the value, those were the top of the board there. So you can't go wrong with that either. And it's better off going with the 
the top of the board, the best player available than just going for a lesser player at a more position of need, even though both those guys are positions of need too. Luna Sternberger's got another question. She says, name a player the Jets passed on in this draft this year that you think they will regret not picking. I will say Akeem Butler. I think they should have picked him toward the end of the third round, and then they could have gotten Schumer Adoga in the beginning of the fourth round. So if I had to say one name, it would be Butler because I think he could have been a really nice red zone target going forward for Sam Darnold. Yeah, they, again, they can't do anything with those first two picks there uh, just because the players that they got could have probably, I'd probably, I'd have to go back and take a look right now. I haven't looked at it to see. You probably could have gone with a different player with that Adoga pick. Keem Butler would have been a, a good one. And then I'll, I'll just go with my answer again. I'll just say Julian Love for him to be sitting there in the fourth and then trade down for those extra picks. Uh, yeah, I would have just gone with Julian there. Next question comes in from Rodimus Prime. He says, what's a realistic season for Darnold in terms of touchdown, interception, and quarterback rating? I am going to say something in the neighborhood of 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, and a quarterback rating between 88 and 92. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I, I hate doing stat predictions. And, you know, I, I hate stats pretty much just without context, too. But I'd, I'd say around 30 touchdowns, you know, half that with interceptions. And that sounds like it's probably a high 80s uh, quarterback rating. Next question comes in from my man, Kevin Zillis Nicky. Just a young man making his way in the world of banking. He says, who would win in a fight, Mike Francesa or Michael K? I'll hang up and listen. So here's my theory on this. I think that Francesa and K would square up. They would just start talking. And then Francesa would challenge K to a fight. K would say, would you care to step outside and say, how dare you challenge my manhood and ask me to fight? Francesa would then say that he never actually challenged K to a fight, at which point the guy that runs the back after this Twitter account <laughs> would post the actual audio of Francesa challenging K to a fight. By the time they both listened to this, they would both be so tired because they're old and out of shape. They'd be winded. They'd both sit down in a chair. Francesca would take the edge off with a Diet Coke. Michael Kay would realize that he's running late for his other gig, calling play-by-play for Yankee games on the Yes Network, and this fight would never actually happen. <laughs> your, your answer is way better than my answer is going to be I was going to make a joke about Francesca falling asleep in the middle of it uh, I was going to you know, say something about uh, Francesca just, just laying on him but Michael K is a really tall dude too so most likely it's going to be a lot of screaming back and forth a whole bunch of hold me back hold me back let me at him let me at him type stuff Rodimus Prime has another question. He says, not in love with the depth at running back. What are your thoughts about re-signing Bilal Powell? I don't hate the depth at running back because I think Montgomery will be fine. McGuire is a perfectly acceptable third running back. That said, I do like Bilal Powell. If he was willing to come back on an incredibly cheap deal, I wouldn't be completely against it. But I don't think it's likely to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's likely to happen either. But, you know, I saw it. Um and talked about the other day, and I was like, yeah, go ahead, bring him back. But I don't think they would have signed Tyler Mon- Ty Montgomery if they were thinking about him as a possible option. Still having Elijah McGuire and Trenton Cannon here, even though 
you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them aren't on the team, but it, it'd be surprising if they bring Bilal Powell at this point, but I, I'd be all for it. He could definitely help with having Le'Veon Bell to have him here as the backup. I, I think it would be better than Ty Montgomery, depending on his health. Next question comes in from Kenneth Maduro. He says, between Quinn and Williams, Leonard Williams, and Henry Anderson, what will the primary positions be along the starting defensive line, and how will they employ their sub-packages? So if you go into the archives, you can hear Joe Blewett talk all about this when we did our Quinn and Williams film review. You can also hear Brett Coleman talk a lot about this when I asked him about how Quinn and Williams would fit in a Greg Williams defense. I would say that... All three guys are going to be shifted around. Quinn and Williams will be moved all around the line. He can play all five spots. He'll probably primarily be the zero to one tech, which is nose tackle. But I do think that he will get time at all of those. And I think that there will be plenty of opportunity for all three of those guys to be on the field at the same time. Although, obviously, they can sub in and out. Yeah, and don't forget Steve McClendon still. He's going to be in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all going to be moved around, though. Not just Quinn and Williams. Leo's going to get moved around, mm-hmm. and, and they've all talked about it. Gase has talked about it. Quinn and Williams has talked about it. They they all expect to be moved around a lot. So uh, to sit here and say primary, uh, you know, as ask this question again towards the end of training camp, I'll give, be able to give you a better answer to see how uh, Greg f- feels and see how you know, how the trends are going there to see which one will be most. But especially during mini camp and training camp, they're going to be shifting them all around until Greg feels what he's most comfortable with each player at each spot. And then we can give you an answer there on, you know, what it's likely to be primarily. We could also hope that the Jets will get at least a little something out of the Canadian lumberjack, Nathan Shepard, as well. Last two questions coming from Bobby at UC1917, we'll start with his first one. He says, when Charlie Casterly and Ron Wolf interviewed and hired Mike McCagnin, did Ron Wolf recommend his son Elliot Wolf, who is now the assistant general manager with the Browns, did Elliot Wolf interview with the Jets for the GM position? As far as I'm aware, he didn't interview with the Jets. I have no idea if Wolf recommended him, although I would imagine that if he did, he would have gotten an interview. Would have been an interesting candidate, although maybe Ron Wolf felt like it would have been a conflict of interest to recommend his own son. Yeah, I don't remember the specifics. I, I, I'm pretty sure he did not interview. I do think that there was he wasn't going to be... Uh, you know, getting hired as a consultant to come and recommend his own son. I do remember something along those lines. I don't think that that was going to be the case, that he was going to come and say, hey, pay me to make this decision for you. Oh, by the way, hire my son. I, I, he wasn't going to do that. So uh, then they, I do not, I'm pretty sure he did not interview and the other question for Bobby says, as it pertains to Le'Veon Bell, who were his other suitors? Mac made him the highest offer. Did he put an expiration date on it? Bell signed a day after Barr spurned the Jets. Makes me think that Bell got the take it or leave it speech. How is his guaranteed money handed out? So let's go bit by bit here. First of all, by all accounts, and Chris, you probably can speak to this better than I can, they did give him a deadline at a certain point and said, you have to sign by this date, here's our offer. 
As far as his other suitors, there were a bunch of teams that reportedly called to inquire. The only team that made a hard offer besides the Jets was the San Francisco 49ers, and that came after the Jets had made their offer. The Niners tried to swoop in at the end, but Bell ended up picking the Jets. And as far as how the guaranteed money is handed out, as far as I can tell, because of the way this is structured, it's more or less a glorified two- to three-year deal. Yeah, the, we'll start with the first part of that. They did give him a deadline on it. The Ravens were in. They, they never made a, a final solid offer there. It didn't seem that they were willing to get anywhere near what the Jets were. And the 49ers did get in late and try to make a play, but obviously they didn't match what the Jets did. Uh, as far as the guaranteed money, he is, uh, you know, he's got the upfront money that he signed for. It was a four-year, $52 million contract, of course, $27 million fully guaranteed. Uh, he's got $13 million guaranteed next year with a $15.5 million cap hit. After that, 2021, 2022, zero guaranteed money. He will count $4 million uh, against the cap. If he was cut in 2021, $2 million against the cap in 2022. But that's hardly enough to stop them from moving on if they really feel they need to move on and want to move on. Hopefully they won't want to or need to move on because we'd like to see Le'Veon Bell be here and be a part of the turnaround with young Sam Darnold and be a key piece of this offense and this team for several more years to come. As we wrap up this weekend mailbag, Chris... As always, thank you so much for joining me. A pleasure answering questions. Next mailbag, you might want to throw in a couple of justified references and even some justified questions. Just kidding. We're going to answer all Jets questions. But if you have justified questions, we would absolutely love to answer those too. Chris, for anybody that doesn't know where to follow you or how to read your very big deal work, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. And, uh, of course, uh, JetsInsider.com is where you can find the articles and everything. And, yeah, go ahead. Send those tweets in with some of that Kentucky twang to it, the Kentucky twang uh, font there. there. That'll, that'll grab our attention, get a little more response out of it. No question about it. You throw a little Kentucky twang in there and a justified reference, maybe a hello railing or something along those lines, and you're definitely going to get our attention. First thing we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge that this guy's awesome. What? I mean, he shoots the Otona, fakes his own death in a spectacular fashion, pushes a guy out of an airplane while he's flying it, parachutes in Harlan County with enough coke and cash to jumpstart the economy of a small country, and then he has the balls to get a job in law enforcement not once, but two times. He spends a couple of days riding around with you while you're looking for him, and now he's run off with a hooker that's half his age. That's some badass shit. So make sure that you get those mailbag questions ready now because we're going to have plenty to answer next week, I'm sure. Follow Chris on Twitter. Go ahead and read JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.